Hey y'all, we're going to be at the True Crime Podcast Festival this year on August 25th through 27th, 2023 in Austin, Texas. Come join us and get 15% off your ticket with our promo code C. That's C-E-E at the checkout. Thank you all so much for listening to us and we will see you there. Oh, no next Tuesday? Not this time? This is the See You Next Tuesday podcast. We have dirty words and shit potholes throughout the entire episode. Our name literally spells cunt. How could you not know what was coming? Thanks for listening. Let's talk about it here. Hey, y'all. Hi. I'm do real quick intros because I really want to talk about this thing I saw online. Jesse, Amanda, let's go. Let's go. So I saw on Instagram, and everyone's probably seen it by now, but anyway, it's this incredible like little shed that this girl has like out in her backyard where she has like all these, it's like her book reading room. It's like a library. It's like a library. Exactly. It's her library. Just words are hard. It's, they are hard. And so she... I'm just like picturing like she's going out there with like a cup of tea, which I mean, yes, it looks like it's about to be rainy outside, which yes. I mean, here's what I would have in it. I would have like a full on setup. It would have a big comfy chair, you know, where you can like lean back or like lay down, you know, big comfy chair, lots of pillows. Shays lounge. Yes. And blankets, naturally. Yes. What else? A A kitten. A kitten. (laughs) absolutely absolutely maybe a little pet hedgehog a fridge with wine oh yeah and then also like a little tea coffee station you know to Mm -hmm. where you can have like oh maybe this is a good place for the like the little wine tap yeah my Mm -hmm. wine tap Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because then you don't have to keep bringing in bottles it's just right there Mm -hmm. and then you want fairy lights oh that was on the pathway out there yeah fairy houses Little fairy houses. Fairy houses. Did you see the lights I sent you? Though? Yes. Little fairy. Oh, I love those little those little mm-hmm. lights. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're so cute. Mm-hmm. It's magical. Mm-hmm. Like I I think we need these things <laughs> for no reason. It is project three hundred and forty two on my <gasps> hubby's to be built list. Speaking of wine dispensers, how's that coming? That's number one hundred and eighty six. So he's not there yet. <laughs> he's moving it up slowly. He's actually working on my cabinet right now. You haven't been to my house in a while. So you know how my kitchen countertops on the side with my table overhangs a little bit? Yeah. Between the floor and my counter, he's building me cabinets from scratch. What? Underneath the bar, underneath the countertop, it's going to have wine glass holders. The wine glasses slide in. Mm. Then it's going to hold my wine, wine bottles. And then it's going to have, the shelves have grooves in them to hold my china. And then on the very bottom, because this space isn't that big, it'll hold all my stemless wine glasses. Oh, I love this idea. He's building it all from scratch. We designed it together. I love this. And then the doors are going to be not glass because we're afraid our animals will break the glass. Good point. I mean, plexiglass. And then behind the plexiglass, we're putting chicken wire because you know my house is like farmhouse. Yeah. It's like, I don't say shabby chic. It's not really. It's farmhouse chic. Mm -hmm. More like that. Yeah. It's like industrial farmhouse. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I love that. 
And you're going to paint that really cool turquoise blue color as well? No, we're staining the wood. It's like a very light stain to where it's light wood. And then the stain just adds a touch of white to it. So it's not solid white. You still see a lot of the natural. The wood behind it. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's going to be really pretty. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Fun. So I see what you mean. It's it's on the list. Mm-hmm. What did he do when you showed him the, the like she shed with all the like books and shit in it? I didn't show it to him. Oh, okay. You were like, yeah, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna wait on that one until mm-hmm. he finishes all these three hundred other mm-hmm. projects. Because you know he's still not done with my bookshelves in my current library. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And I need him to finish those bookshelves because I need a place to put all my Lego. <laughs> Come on, dude. Get to your projects, bro. Literally, my bookshelves are drilling things into a wall and putting wood on top of it. He's busy. He's a busy man. You got him. Do you want to know what he did when he got home from work on Friday? What? And I can tell you for a fact because I was fucking there. He took a three-hour nap. Oh, so now I'm convinced incredible. he fucking does this every day. That sounds incredible. A three-hour nap? Oh my god, yes. Do you know how mad I am? Yeah, 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 no, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's mad with love. It's like, no. how dare you, fucker? <laughs> and you know what he says? What? You don't think that I've earned it? Oh. And then you're just like, god dang it. No, I don't. Why not? I have shelves that aren't finished. <laughs> oh, so what time does he normally get home? Noonish? One, two. Oh, yeah, I would take a nap too. Why wouldn't you take a nap? Absolutely. You got things to do around the house, motherfucker. Yeah, but nap. Nap is fun. Nap is fun. I'm sitting on the couch working on the podcast. I know. He comes home. He's like, mm, I think I'll take a nap. And he lies down. He literally fucking took a nap. Like right in front of you. And you're like, looking. at him like, are you serious? Are you Snoring and everything. <laughs> and I'm talking to the cat. I'm like, does he do this every day? <laughs> Cat's like, yeah, bitch. What do you mean? And, and then he has the audacity to wake up. He goes, do you always talk to the cat when you're home alone with him? I go, do you always fucking take a nap when you go? <laughs> Did he deny it? Yes. Uh-huh. I don't take a nap every day. Every day. Which means he does. Exactly right. It means he does. Of course. Exactly right. Is it the phrasing? You just say, yeah. <laughs> Me? I'm working on this podcast. <sighs> Motherfuckers saw fucking logs. He didn't, wasn't even polite enough to go in the bedroom and shut the door. It's right in front of you. And he reached the point where he's like, gives zero shits. Like, he's like, whatever. It is what it is. <laughs> Just doing it here. So then he takes a nap, right? My son comes home. His phone rings. My husband's phone on my son. He goes outside to take this call. Me and my son were like, I'm like, dude, what do you want for dinner? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, where's your dad? He's like, I don't know. He's on the phone. I'm like, well, I'm hungry. And I'm like, I walk outside. I'm like, he's like on the phone. I'm like, dude, we're hungry. He's like, just a second. I'm like, you've been sleeping. Now you're on the fucking phone. And we want dinner. So I come back inside. I go, does your dad come home and take a nap every day? He's like, I'm pretty sure he does. What? He threw him right, right into the bus. He didn't even deny it. 
Correct. God dang it. Oh, he's more afraid of you. That's why. <laughs> he's like, I'm more scared of you than, than uh, him. No, here's, here's <sighs> my son's game plan. He will throw whoever he can under the bus if he thinks he's going to get something from the person he's throwing the other one under the bus. Mm. So in this case, it was food. Right. And he knows that, okay, mom's hungry, so she's going to make dad get off the phone. If she's going to do whatever she has to do to get dinner, and I'm hungry, so dad's going under the bus. Yeah. But if it was the other way around, mom would be going under the bus. Oh, for sure. He's self-serving. Hey, you know. He's 15. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, what would you do if you got a chance to be home at like one or two every day? I don't think I would nap. You wouldn't nap? No, I don't think so. Oh, man. I used to do that. I, the reason I say I would is because I used to. I'd be like, hell yeah, take a nap. Wake up and be like, oh, all right, five or six. Time to go do this thing over here now. Like, yeah, it's a nice little break in between everything. I think I would just binge watch my show. Oh, that too. Yeah. Or read a book. Yeah. You can do that. It's, it's you know, it's you time. Me time. I did read an amazing fucking book. Oh, what is it? It was, I'm going to tell you in just a second. No worries. I don't remember the name of it now. It's always that way, isn't it? It was like... The house across the street or something like that. It's not the one that the Netflix show is based off of, is it? No. Okay. Because I've been doing that a lot lately, too. It's like, book equal TV show or movie. Like, almost every time now. And the book is always better. Always. Always better. Yeah, I don't think I've ever read a, a book and then watched the movie and gone like, man, you know, the, the, the movie's better. I mean, don't get me wrong, it is cool to see your book play out as a movie because you're like, ah, oh, they did this right. That's so cool, you know, and see it in like real life, so to speak. But uh, you're right. No, that wasn't it. I don't remember. Eh. I wish I could remember now. Now I'm sad. I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> no worries. But that's why you got that thing. So you can read, read, read. Let me tell you, I read so much. That's good. Oh, it's called The Family Across the Street. Ooh. Let me tell you, I am normally really good about, like, when I'm reading a book, I'm like, I got this, I know what's going to happen at the end, and I'm normally right, but the book is still enjoyable to read. Of course. This one? No, I was wrong. You didn't catch it? Nope. Oh, I love that. I was wrong, and I got to where it tells you, and I'm like, what? You're like, that's the who? I was like, it's that person? Oh my God. It wasn't the... <gasps> I love that. Okay, so have you read Where the Crawdads Sing? Yes, you let me borrow That's it. right, that's right. Yeah, I loved it so much. I was like, you have to read this book. Oh my God. There, little scene where there's a... Going to be a ruling on something. I'm just going to say that. Mm -hmm. So hopefully there's no spoilers. I literally had to cover the page, the next page with my hand. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, don't read head. Because you know how like when something's about to happen, you feel it. Right. You're like, I'm going to read head. Like you're instantly, you want to. And I'm like, nope. So I had to like, and my heart was pounding out of my chest. I was literally, and that was the first time a book had made me feel that way ever. Yeah. So I know what you mean. And I'm like, kind of want to I was. I read was that. Well, and... If you have Kindle Unlimited, it's free. That's right. That's right. That's right. When it comes with Prime, 
If so, if you have Prime, Kindle no. Unlimited, mm-hmm. no? Kindle Unlimited is like $9.99 a month. Oh, my bad. Okay, my bad. But still, if you read like more than one book a month, then yeah. it pays for itself, dude. Yeah. I was just like, I was like, it's who? I didn't see that coming. And then there was like another twisty. And I was like, what? That's, mm-hmm. Ooh, love a twisty. Okay. Great twisty. It was great. Is it, what genre is it? Psychological thriller. Psych, oh, love those. That's like my favorite genre. Like, It's interesting because then, then like you're also invested in the characters more because you're like, mm-hmm. ooh, who's this person going to turn out to be? Mm-hmm. Or are they the person from the get that they say they are? Mm-hmm. <sighs> love it. I loved it so much. And then like there's another character that's judged throughout the book and then at the end they, all these other character, he becomes like, quote unquote family with all these other characters it's great okay yes i love it there's a happy ending i do love a happy ending i know so i've watched two movies recently oh tell me about them so i don't have to watch them because i'm not i know so i watched megan oh i actually wanted to see that you need to watch it so can i stream it yes peacock perfect i have peacock yes it is great if you like chucky that's all I'm uh, going to say. Hello. Yeah. So you're going to love it. And I gave it a nine out of 10 because of that. Because it is, it's like, it's fun. It's a really fun. And it, don't get me wrong. There's some scenes where you're like, ooh, it's gnarly. But it's like gross in a good way. You know, it's a horror I, film. I actually wanted to see that. And I looked a couple of months ago and it wasn't on there. Because mm-hmm. I thought it was on there. But I guess it was just in theaters at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, Peacock has been getting some good shit, man. Like straight to theater releases on streaming i was like god dang they had black phone as well which is another horror film that i need to watch apparently it's very good as well okay and then the same day i was like i'm gonna take down smile and that is a psychological horror is what i'm gonna say and it is on prime for free oh okay so if you want to watch that the visuals on that are way more disturbing for sure the way that they promoted it made it look different than what it actually is and this is what I kind of hate. Like nowadays is I'm all for bearing the lead on any, on any trailer. Please do not show me the whole movie in the trailer. Cause now I'm like, fuck a whole, I saw the whole goddamn thing. Right. But don't also mislead me down a totally different path where I'm like, wait, it's this kind of a movie and not this kind of a movie. Cause then when you go in, you're expecting a certain right, right, thing. Right, right, right. I'm not mad at this one for that because you know, it, it's, it, they did as best they could, but yeah, it was definitely different than I thought of it. It was going to be. So 7 out of 10 because of that. But what's more interesting, sounds so silly, is that Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick's daughter is the lead character. And I didn't realize that was who that was. I'm like, why does her face look so familiar? She's a baby bacon. She's a baby bacon. Does she look like bacon? More like her mom's jaw and then maybe her dad's eyes eyes she's oddly it's weird she's pretty at times in the movie and you're like oh she's really pretty other times you're like what is wrong with her face you know like it's so odd (laughs) it's it's just a weird mix of the two of them Mm -hmm. I don't know how to describe it like she's pretty I guess I don't know so you know what I bought my husband for his birthday huh a wood-burning pizza oven that's right that's right 
His birthday has not happened yet. No, it did. It did happen. Yeah, it was in February. Okay, what did he say? So, this mother trucker. Oh. Uh. I, I love him. It may not seem like it, the names I have called him this episode. But they're said with love. It's with love. I love him. And if you know him, please don't tell him that I said all those things. So I ordered it online. I ordered it through Lowe's for pickup, right? It was supposed to be in the day of his birthday. Right. So I was going to, on a Friday. His birthday was on Friday. Perfect. I was going to get off work, go home, pick him up, take him to Lowe's to pick up his gift. But I got a text on Thursday that said it was ready for pickup. So I'm like, okay, I'll pick it up on the way home, right? Pick it up, put it in my car, and I go home. He thinks he knows what his gift is. Right. And he's normally right. This time he was wrong, and so that part was great. So here I'm so excited, right? And I'm like, do you like it? Do you like it? Like a child. Of course. It's so fun. And he's like, I don't know. I guess we'll see when we use it. Oh, Oh, <laughs> the fuck, the fuck, oh my God, the fuck, <laughs> oh, Podhub, keep it on the inside, just be like, yes, it's amazing, I love it, it's the perfect everything, the fuck, I guess we'll see when we use it, the yeah. fuck, you mother trucker. <laughs> So, have you used it? We did. And he thinks it's great. Okay, perfect. I think it's great. Well, who doesn't want fucking pizza? Exactly In right. their house. Exa- exactly right. Are you kidding? And it actually turned out better than I thought because I did a lot of research on these motherfuckers before I bought one. Because I didn't want to spend $2,000 on one. Oh, but no. I didn't want to spend like $150 on one. And then it breaks tomorrow. Right, 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 right. So, I got like a mid-priced one. Yeah. And I did a lot of research on the best one to buy, right? Because I'm nerdy like that, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But in doing all this, I read that, like, the first time you use it, your pieces probably aren't going to be that great. They're probably going to burn. Because your pizza cooks in, like, 60 seconds. Ooh. Because it gets to, like, 900 degrees. Oh, wow, yeah. You don't need it in there for that long, then. Mm -mm. I'm not expecting a lot. First go-round. So I actually made homemade pizza dough from scratch. Because of course you did. I knew this. I knew you would do this. Like, there's no way she's buying it pre. But also, it's actually easy to make. It is flour, yeast, sugar, and... Salt, right? Water, salt? Olive oil. Olive oil. Okay. But it is fairly easy dough. It's not it's like easy complicated. To make. It's not making croissants or something. I have a KitchenAid mixer with the dough hook, so it's right. not like... Yeah. I did a lot, okay? But still, it's homemade. That means something. I made homemade pizza dough, yada, yada, yada. He actually didn't do that bad. They nice. actually turned out pretty good. Awesome. A little burnt in some spots, but they were pretty good. Like, we got to make our, we got to put our own toppings, whatever we wanted on it. Dude, you can make some flatbreads. I'm just thinking that loud now. We can. Uh, you can also make bread bread in these things. Oh yeah, and then tortillas. You can make you can make steak in them. Well, oh yeah, you're right. You can get that char. Ooh, that'd be good. Next time we make pizzas, I'm gonna make homemade sauce. 
Oh, I'm going to yeah. make a white sauce and a regular traditional sauce. Yes. Ooh, girl. And then you can mix it up and make a, a vodka sauce. Fuck. Oh my God. Sounds amazing. Well, and that's the thing is like, there's so many things you can do with this. I know. Oh. So I've already, okay. You've met me, right? Yes. We've used this thing one time and I've already been on Pinterest to look up how to make like, how to build like a big homemade pizza oven in your backyard. Oh yeah. Like one of those clay ones. Uh-huh. That's all super Out of sick. brick. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. We've used it one time and I've already gone there. You're like, no, we're, this is going to be a fixture. Mm-hmm. Next to the hot tub. Mm-hmm. What did I tell you? This needs to be next to the hot tub. Mm-hmm. So then you can literally have a slice while you're fucking in a goddamn hot tub. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then over here, within arm's reach, is your wine, mm-hmm. like, dispenser. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Hello. Ooh, imagine this. Do, like, a fig flatbread with like prosciutto and like fucking mustard greens or some shit on top arugula arugula with a glass of wine what i'm just get the fuck out of here or a margarita pizza with a margarita mm-hmm. oh, i'm hungry so i also made both my son and my husband homemade birthday cakes on the same day what from scratch no box mixes what what who are you, Susie Q? Like, over here. So, do you want to know what flavors? Say strawberry. No. What is it? My husband had a chocolate cake with salted caramel frosting. Yum. And my son had a vanilla cake with homemade chocolate cream cheese frosting and a salted caramel drizzle. What in the hell, girl? You, like... <laughs> Where do you fucking find the time? This is why you're mad about the three-hour nap. This is why. Like, let's think about this. So you work at, like, a niner, come home, cook dinner, and then on the weekends you're baking cakes and shit, and then, I get it, I get it, comes home, three-hour nap, and you're like, seriously? Why are you not building my shelves? Yeah. You're like, this is what I would be doing during this time. But, I mean, you know... He works hard, so, you know, three-hour nap. But I get it. Do not defend him. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) I made two cakes from scratch. No boxes. Salted caramel. I made that salted caramel myself. Oh, God. Homemade salted caramel. Homemade salted caramel. Yeah. That sounds amazing. There was salted caramel in between the layers of You had layers? It was a two-layer cake, both of them. Dude... That's insane. It's amazing. Seriously. We need like great British baking, but for the U.S. I mean, it would go horribly awry, I'm sure, because we're nowhere near as kind as they are. And we wouldn't be helping would our friends. And something stupid like yeah. a hot Cheeto <gasps> puffed pastry. Yeah, exactly right. They're so nice to each other. Like, even when they're in the mix of, like, the last six or seven or five or even, they'll, like, help each other. Hey, could you just hold this while I do this? In America, fuck that. We would be like, fuck you, bitch. No, on the Lego show, they help each other. They do? Mm-hmm. Is it filmed in the U.S.? Yes. Okay, well, then I take it back. Good. I'm glad we're nice. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> well, let's talk about not nice. Yeah, this is not nice. Is this an SP episode and is it going to get from bad to worse? Yes. Okay. Now we're all warned. Let's go. Okay. So Jennifer Jean Hart was born June 4th, 1979. 
and grew up in Huron, South Dakota with her parents and two brothers, Jonathan and Christopher. My good person lost episode was from South Dakota. Oh, that's weird. I didn't huh. plan that. No, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. Huh. huh. The siblings were each four years apart. Huron is a town of 13,000 in the eastern plains of South Dakota. When Jen was 12, her parents got divorced and her and her brothers stayed with their mom in the house they grew up in while their dad moved across town. Douglas, her dad, worked for the Federal Western Area Power Administration, and he was gone during the week so the kids would visit him on the weekends. Okay, yeah. You know, use typical divorce, right? But when Jen was 14, she asked to move in with Douglas. So Douglas would drive home every night from work, which sometimes was hundreds of miles. That's amazing. Because he was like, you know what? My daughter wants to live with me. I see the assignment. And I'm going to get an A+. That's a really good dad move. Mm-hmm. Proud of Douglas. But then she got a little rebellious. Jen started breaking Douglas's rules between the time she got home from school and the time Douglas would get home from work. So he told her, he was like, Jen, you've got to move back in with your mom. Right. And that's, again, fair. Hey, you right. broke the rules. These are the rules of the house. This is where you got to go now. And Douglas said, and I quote, I thought maybe when she got older, she would understand. Well, of course. You know. Because, I mean, that's, again, this is all very regular things. Right. I'm not upset at any of this. No. I think it is very good parenting. If it you is. can't follow my rules, when I'm not home, you're going to have to go back to your mom's. Consequences to your actions. Exactly. Right. In 1997, when Jen graduated high school, she enrolled in Augustina you- Augustana University, which was a Lutheran school in Sioux Falls. Jen was not raised religious, but somehow she found religion and was baptized. But then in 1999, she decided to transfer to Northern State University in Aberdeen, which was three hours away. So I guess maybe she decided it wasn't for her. Yeah, maybe. I kind of have an idea why. We'll find out in a second. Then in the 2000 yearbook, her name appears on the same page as Sarah Jinger, Gingerler, Gingerler, G-E-N-G-L-E-R. Gingerler. Yeah, I think you're right. Sarah Gingerler. She was another transfer student. Jen and Sarah, they actually started dating not long after Jen transferred to Northern State. So that's probably why Jen didn't stay at the Lutheran University. Oh yeah, no. They, they would not play that game for sure. Mm-mm. So... Who was Sarah Margaret Dingeler? Well, she was born April 8th, 1979 to Alan and Brenda. And she actually grew up only about 150 miles from Jen in Big Stone City. But some people, some sources said it was Ortonville, Minnesota, which is Minnesota. Minnesota. I mean, Why did I just say it like that? I mean, it almost begs for it to be said <laughs> that way. Like literally, I mean... We're translating for Minnesotans. <laughs> I was just reading it. It just came out like yeah. that. <laughs> Which is adjacent to Big Stone City. Sarah had three siblings, and she initially attended the University of Minnesota <laughs> for only one semester before she transferred to Northern State University. So both Jen and Sarah were majoring in elementary education, with Sarah concentrating on special education. Sarah was working as a resident assistant, 
but she eventually moved out of student housing and into an apartment with Jen. Jen and Sarah were a couple and deeply in love, but they told people they were just roommates for about a year until they decided to come out. And when they did, Jen claims they lost friends because of their sexuality. This was early 2000s? Mm-hmm. That's highly likely. I mean, it's likely now. I mean, you know what I mean? It's not, not the same, you know, but it's a little more accepted now than it was even 20 years ago. Right. But I'm still going to say allegedly. Of course. In 2000, oh, we're, the weirdest thing happened. Jen walked into a local Shopco. Let me tell you what a Shopco is. It was a local department store. It's like I've heard the name. Yeah, it was a local department store. I think they've faced bankruptcy now at this point. Ah. I Googled it because okay. I had to find out what it was. Okay. And she sold a pair of Nikes and 25 packs of trading cards. Wait, wait, wait. So wait, you it's like a pawn shop? You go in and sell your shit? No, or- no, no. It's a department store. She bought... No, she stole. She stole. Oh, I misunderstood what you said. Okay. She stole, stole. a pair of Nikes uh-huh. and 25 packs of trading cards. That is odd. Mm-hmm. Huh. Jen told the police she didn't know why. And the police report said, and I quote, Hart also told me there has also been a lot happening lately that could have caused her to do it. End quote. But it doesn't explain why. Jen did plead guilty to theft. Okay. And it's just like a weird blip. She's just like, I don't know. I just like, did my impulse control was gone. I just did it. Yeah. I go, okay. And it's just so weird. Like the items are just so weird. Yeah. It's very odd. Just very, very odd. Okay. So in 2002, Sarah graduated from college with her degree, but Jen quit school without ever graduating. By this point, Jen had severed her relationship with her dad, Douglas. They had had a disagreement in 2001, and Douglas claimed that disagreement had nothing to do with her sexual orientation because she had never disclosed her preference for women to him. Well, no, I I mean, if she only just came out in college, that mean, yeah, I'm understandable. He's like, I didn't know. Yeah. Why would I even argue about something like that if (laughs) I did? Yeah. If I felt that way. Yeah. I don't know what happened in between Jen and her dad, but they became estranged. And mm. after graduation, Sarah and Jen moved to Alexandria, Minnesota. <laughs> it's just, it's too easy now. At this point, that's just what we're going to say. Yeah. It's a Scandinavian town that's, sur- that's surrounded by lakes. And the couple bought a two-story home near a busy street that went right past the mall where they both worked. Aww. Can we discuss how in... 2002, it was so easy for two newly graduated college students to buy a two-story home. Yeah, seriously. I don't care where it is. It doesn't matter. The point is you can buy a home straight out of college. And they worked at a department store. Yeah, no. There's no way. There's no way. Like, that's impossible. I just want to address that. And again, this is like 20 years ago, guys. So Sarah actually took Jen's last name. Oh, it's so cute. I love this. I'm lo- okay. First of all, I just want to say I'm kind of geeking out of this love story. It's very sweet. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really loving this. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. So Jen wasn't seen as the more dominant person in the relationship. She was the one who liked to be in control. She had the big personality. While Sarah was more sensitive and passive. You know, there's always like that dynamic between oh, yeah. two people. Yeah. Nothing on. If a house and a name change didn't solidify their relationship, they decided to foster a teenager. Oh, wow. That's a big step. Mm-hmm. They, they were ready to start a family. 
They foster a 15-year-old girl who they complained to coworkers about. And I personally think they were not prepared for the challenges that come with fostering a child, especially a teenager. Yeah, they've been through a lot. <laughs> and you need a special... You need to be prepared for that kind of raising of a child. It's totally different. Mm-hmm. I mean... Teenagers can be challenging in general, not yeah. just foster children. Yeah. But, I mean, when you choose to foster a child, especially a teenager, they've been through a lot, and I don't think they were prepared for that. Jen and Sarah told her how they were going to adopt three more children and that she was going to be a big sister to them. <gasps> I think I know the story now. Okay. Then one day, Jen and Sarah dropped their foster daughter off at therapy, and they never returned to pick her up. Okay. On the flip side, Jen and Sarah told the Seattle Times she was pushed out as the couple adopted the, their first three children in 2006. Oh, yeah, I know. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm just realizing what the story is. Mm-hmm. Marcus, eight. Hannah, four. And Abigail, two. Seriously, if they were going to adopt, why didn't they just adopt the teenager they were fostering? Yeah, and also, like, maybe one at a time. Because, again, that's a lot of responsibility any one person has idiosyncrasies and whatever those kids have been through let alone three mm-hmm. you couldn't handle one 15 year old like why are you doing mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. i i'm i'm just like if but the, then two years later in 2008 they completed their family when they d- adopted Devonte five jeremiah four and sierra two again six kids why why are we doing this mm-hmm. i don't want six kids of my own no. <laughs> like, you have three. Like, can you imagine yep. three more? Yeah, no. no. See, this is the Thursday thing. This is why Pod Hubs goes, no. <laughs> it goes, mm-hmm. I love you, but no. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So from here on out, Jen, Jen chronicled the family's life on Facebook and was a stay-at-home mom while Sarah worked to provide for the family. From the outside, they look like the perfect family. Jen taught the kids to play the trumpet, and she learned to cut their hair. She even busted G and Devante's hair when the Packers were in the Super Bowl, and an SF two years later for San Francisco. For the 30th anniversary of the Goonies, she spent months making costumes for the whole family. Which, I mean, you're like, ah, yeah, no shit. That's what I did. Who doesn't do that? On the 30th anniversary of the Goonies? Come on. Hello. She celebrated the accomplishments of every child. Marcus, when he did great in a geography B, Hannah and Jeremiah for reciting the Greek alphabet, when Jeremiah and Abby taught a kindergarten song to Sierra, Devante's compliments from his classmates, she threw them all up on the Facebook. They were just the perfect family. The first sign things weren't at all like they seemed was in September 2008, when Hannah went to school with bruises on her arm and her teacher asked what happened. Hannah told her that her parents whipped her with a belt. Charges weren't filed, but Jen and Sarah took the kids out of school for almost a year before re-enrolling them the next fall. Red flag. The teacher didn't notify anyone. And this is the hard part is kids fucking get bruises and cuts and all this shit all the time on their own. Right? I did. God, my knees were always skinned. At all times when I was a kid. I was mm-hmm. always fucking around with some stupid crap. But you never told a teacher. No. But at the, at the same time, like, t- it's hard because teachers have to then go, okay, does this look like domestic violence or mm-hmm. is this just a kid being a kid? Like, it's, it's, 
I don't fully blame the teacher, but I think now they're supposed to disclose, right? Is that the... I, I, I don't, I don't know. know. I think I it's different, know. probably per state and whatever, but yeah. No, I know it's... I mean, social media is great until it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and in April 2010, Jim began posting that the school was not a safe place for Devante or his brothers, that they were being discriminated against because of their race and their parents. See, Jen and Sarah were white, but they adopted all African-American children. Yeah. But Devante was facing the worst of it. But it wasn't just at school. It was allegedly at home, too. There were more than 30 calls to the police that involved a feud with a neighbor. And in June 2009, the neighbor did admit that he made some comments about their sexuality. Which is shitty. It is shitty. But people do shitty things. Yeah. You know what I mean? People do shitty things. Yes, there's, if this is what I'm thinking, there's other reasons. The police chief actually brokered a truce between the man and the hearts. Okay. So the police chief, you know, did what he was supposed to do. Yeah. And also you got the police chief involved. Like how, 30 calls, guys, like. I I personally think 30 is probably excessive and She's saying that it's about race, mm. but the neighbor's like, I made a comment about their sexuality. Not the race. Right. Like, like yes, I was shitty. I was but shitty. But not in the way that they're saying. Right, right, right. <laughs> okay. I'm not saying what he did was okay. Correct. It is not okay. No. But. It's also, guys, like, if you're going to say, just say what he said about your sexuality that alone is enough to be right. you don't have to make up a lie about right. the kids right in november 2010 jen wrote that they contacted a real estate agent to sell the house and move this post was four days before sarah was arrested for child abuse mm. what happened was six-year-old abby came to school with bruises and told the teacher that her mom jen had hit her but this was not the first time this had happened Remember two years before, Hannah had told a teacher the similar story? Yep. Well, this time, the teacher did what she should have done and called the authorities. When talking to the investigators, Abby told them that Jen held her head under cold water and punched her because they believed she had stolen a penny they had found on her. A fucking penny. A penny. The investigators did talk to the other children, and they said they were often spanked, denied food, and grounded. When questioned by the police, it was Sarah who told the police that she was the one who spanked Abby. Sarah was initially charged with domestic assault and malicious punishment, but in April 2011, Sarah pled guilty and was convicted of misdemeanor domestic assault and sentenced to 90 days in jail, but was stayed for one year of supervised probation and one year of community service. They then pulled the kids out of school. Yeah. Red flags everywhere. All over the place. Like a fucking circus. Yeah. Like a lot of people, Jen (laughs) made sure her social media wasn't telling her the whole story. And she never posted about the child abuse or pulling the kids out of school in order to homeschool them. In the fall, she just posted a picture of all six children sitting in the leaves, captioned, science class in the forest. According to Jen's social media, posts of the, and I quote, wandering hearts would spend a day or a month trekking through nature 
and the wandering hearts would mean Jen and the children. Sarah would stay home and work, and she would catch up with the rest of the family when she could. So Jen would take the kids off for undetermined amounts of time while Sarah stayed home to work. And make money to survive, essentially. Right. And also the kids are being homeschooled at this point, is that correct? Quote, unquote, homeschooled, yes. And in our country, you don't have to prove um, anything. No. They just got to pass the the GED, exactly, exam, and that's about it. So you could be doing anything during that time frame. Exactly right. So finally, after 10 years together, the whole family traveled to Connecticut so Jen and Sarah could get married. Then in the fall of 2012, Sarah got a job in in the Portland area. But I said Sarah, right? Mm -hmm. But Jen and the kids stayed behind for six months until the house was sold. Then the rest of the family arrived in April 2013. And the family rented a house in West Lynn and raised goats and chickens in the backyard. That sounds great. It sounds great. And it's a beautiful area. Like, it's beautiful over there. So, again. It sounds great. Appearances are all looking good. Mm -hmm. It's the right area. You know, it's very LBGTQIA plus friendly. You know, it's like they are, like, right now, like, seemingly a poster child. On the outside. Family. Yeah. For a good same-sex couple, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So Nusheen Bakhartiar met Jen at a local charity concert in November 2013 because they went to a lot of charity events, concerts, things like that. They were... They were known around town. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they bonded over music and their sense of humor. And according to Nusheen, she had been to the hard home and they would usually interact with Devante and Jeremiah... The other kids would have their heads buried in books, but she said Abby was outgoing and Marcus was shy and Sierra was giggly, but she had never heard Hannah speak. Hmm. How um, old is Hannah at this point? Huh? How old is Hannah? Is she, she should be speaking age is what yes, we're saying. Yes, 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 Okay, yes. got it. In 2013, someone anonymously notified the Oregon Department of Human Services and said, and I quote, the kids pose and are made to look like one big happy family, but after the photo event, they go back to looking lifeless. Another person told the authorities that the kids act, and I quote, like trained robots, and that they appear to be, and I quote, scared to death of Jen, as well as looking underfed. After numerous complaints, child welfare paid the family a visit, and all the kids had almost nearly identical responses to the questions. They said there was no abuse and they were grateful to be adopted by Jen and Sarah. One investigator did notice the kids showed, and I quote, little emotion or animation. Shockingly, they found no concrete evidence of abuse or neglect. For me, what? six almost identical stories would be proof enough. Absolutely. That would be, I'd be like red fucking flags. Everyone's got the same story. All of them are grateful to be adopted. Like, I'd be like, nope, something's off here. Something's wrong. Yep. Yep. This is all wrong. We'll be back in two days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or actually. I wouldn't announce. I'd be like, no, no, no. Everything looks good here. Okay. Everything's great. And then I will be back the next day. Surprise. Yeah. Surprise visit, bitch. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So in 2016, Nasheen went to a Bernie Sanders rally with the family. We love you, Bernie. Bernie. 
And there wasn't enough space, so she offered to let Hannah sit in her lap because she thought Hannah was seven or eight years old. And Jen told her, you know she's 14, right? <gasps> Holy shit. Okay, that's disgusting, disturbing. See, this is what I'm saying. Like, Because, I mean, like, okay, you've never heard the child speak. She looks like a seven or eight-year-old. Like, it's not inappropriate to say to a seven or eight-year-old when there's not enough room, hey, you want to sit on my lap? Yeah, no, of course not. They're a kid. But then they right. tell you, oh, no, they're 14. You're like, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> what? Like, so many red flags. Again, like, this is what I'm saying, like, the smoke and fire thing. If you start hearing rumors about, and there's enough of them, you're mm-hmm. like, okay, something's up. Mm-hmm. So the more time Nasheen spent with the family, the more Jen began to open up about her family. She began to tell Nasheen the struggles about raising six kids. And how they had to leave school because the teachers punished her kids more than the other children. Mm. No, I highly doubt that. <laughs> oh, yes, better. She told Nasheen that each kid was born addicted to drugs or alcohol and faced their own set of problems. And that they would gorge themselves on food because they didn't know better. Jen said the kids' genetics and a rough start in life was... <laughs> cause of their size and behaviors. Jen also told Nasheen that the children can never be left alone and none of them would ever work or have spouses or children. And Nasheen remembers Jen specifically saying, and I quote, they would never grow up to have normal lives. Needless to say, Jen's social media never reflected these sentiments. It only showed perfect children and a perfect family life. Now, I can tell you, Marcus, Hannah, and Abigail all share the same biological mother, and they're from Texas. Their mother voluntarily relinquished her parental rights because she did some prison time, and in an interview, she said, and I quote, When they took my children, I went into a deep depression. I tried to make the most unselfish decision for my children. I, you know what? I really, she did the right thing. To me. The mother did. So to me, it sounds like because of her record, she had a hard time finding employment and couldn't provide for her children. And she decided to relinquish her rights so they could live with a family that could provide for them to what she perceived to be a better life. Of course. And and that had to have been the most gut-wrenching decision she ever made in her life. And she, she did the right thing. She did. I mean, this... Story Jenna's spinning about where these kids came from is not true. It's not true. It's not true for those three children. Correct. Now, Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra all show the same biological mother as well. Now, court records do show that their mother did lose custody of them because of her drug addiction, but there was no indication that the children were born addicted to drugs. Right. So it's all a facade. It's a very beautiful story to tell about how you save these children. And and let's actually bring race into this because these two white women now are saving these black children from their terrible crack mothers, like that whole idea. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely a narrative that it's easy to spin in this country and they spun it. And it's shitty mm-hmm. that you would use those things against these women who that may or may not have been true. It doesn't matter. The point is that you're using it as a manipulation against, you know what I mean? And also, I'm sorry, who is a, is a mother or even as a caretaker 
would want their would not want their children or assume their children would never have a life outside of themselves. That why? is insane to me. Why? Why? Like, oh, they already said these children are not going to grow up and have children, families or children or jobs or this or that. That is a fucking red flag, dude. Let's go back to that 2000 incident where she just doesn't know why she stole shoes and trading cards. She had mental health issues. Yes. Yes. That's why you told that story. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a pattern here. And the other thing is like, they've basically made a high control group within their own home. It's very easy to do. The mother, the, the two authority figures, the mothers have full control over this six, the group of six children. Like that's what's happening, you mm-hmm. know? And it's to, they even then believe that their control and it could extend to the point where they, yeah, you're right. They probably would never have gotten married if, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just crazy. It's, it's, oh, it reminds me of a Netflix documentary that I had to stop watching about this Indian family, something about the trees or something like that. But basically the whole entire family hung themselves in their own home and they tied each other up and hung each other Mm. for Mm. like this crazy religious insulated thing that just the family believed. Like this whole second coming was happening. It was, it was absolutely insane. And it was so creepy. I was like, I can't, I can't watch this. I can't watch this. Yeah. Well, but it it, doesn't get better. No, it doesn't get better because just social media continued to tell a story of a happy family. Well, in reality, they've been investigated for child abuse or neglect three separate times in 2008 when Sarah pled guilty in 2010 and in 2013, and there were claims that Jen withheld food from the children as punishment. And for some reason, Jen's favorite child was Devante, and most of her posts were about Devante. Yeah, and I don't know why. I don't either. <laughs> I I remember seeing his face, and so yeah, there is actually a famous photo of Devante from a Black Lives Matter protest in Portland in 2014. Yeah, Devante is crying and hugging a white police officer. The photo went viral. Our favorite Kim K even posted about it. I saw it too. I mean, I was like, oh, it's awesome. Yeah. And Jen told friends that the family didn't want the attention. It was turning down every offer imaginable. Which again, sounds like they're trying to protect their children from a very real force known as social media and the news. It sounds right. But really, she didn't want people to find out that... They were victims of abuse and neglect. Exactly. That she (laughs) was actually abusing her children and there's this whole other nefarious thing. Whereas on the outside, it looks like, oh, what what parent wouldn't want to protect their child from the news media? Yeah, it's fucked. It's so crazy. So in 2016, Jen seemed to be back to the darker thoughts and posts that she was in back when they left Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Because she commented, and I quote, I've been struggling with the colorblindness I'm surrounded by in my circle of friends. My children are black. There are so few people in my life that I feel really, in all caps, get it. Love and light seem to be the only things in the toolbox that's not being an ally for black lives. Okay. Okay. First of all, that quote does not make any sense whatsoever. No, it doesn't. It makes no sense. Like, I was typing this quote like word for word and I'm like I don't even understand what this means 
Like, here's the thing, girl. What you think? I'm going to read it word for word, but I don't understand it. Yeah, because you're the only one with problems. You're the only one. So soon after she posted that, she disappeared from Facebook for six months, changed her phone number, and the family moved to rural Woodland, Washington. Here we go. So this also is like very like normal when it comes to these types of people. They're going to keep moving around as the rumors spread. Right. Right. Because now this community is on to you. Yeah. Now time to move. Got to go. Time to move. Got to go. Time to move. Exactly. So the story she told her friend, Nasheen, was that she, ready? We're back to this. She had been stalked, harassed, and threatened, but the police, but on the flip side, the police had no records of responding to any calls to the heart home. So unlike in Minnesota, there was records, 30 phone calls, 30 trips. Yeah. A truce by the chief of police. Yep. But in Oregon, there was no records. Right. Because they just moved there. According to Nasheen, Jen texted her and said that she had cut almost all the people she knew out of her lives and she was struggling with anxiety because of the threat she received from race for racist and bigoted reasons. Um, it's just a crutch at this point. Yeah, I, it's it's literally a crutch she's using to prop up whatever bullshit's <laughs> happening inside the house. Yes. And it's shitty because there are real people with those real yes. problems. Yes. <laughs> so Nasheen texted asking to see Jen and the family at least six times, but she was never invited and Jen never responded to the last two text messages. So their new neighbors in Washington noticed that none, none of the six kids rarely left the house. The blinds were usually drawn. And what have we learned in all of our stories about the blinds being drawn? Always a red flag. Always fucking bad. Children in the house and you never see them outside? And the blinds are drawn? There's a problem. Call the police immediately. Call cops. (laughs) Oh my God. Why am I not calling the cops on my neighbors? I know. Children in the home, never see them. Mm, Good point. Um, I know. And, and this is also her, another thing. Okay. We know like, obviously there's different situations. Maybe there's a disabled child who can't go out. We understand what we're saying is, is if it, it if it feels odd, follow that feeling. You probably are not wrong. Maybe I should just anonymously call in a well check. How, how do you welfare check? A, how do you do an anonymous welfare check? I don't know. You might want to Google that at first and just see like, do I call cops or do I call CPS? Like what, where does that fall? Yeah. yeah. Cause I preach, see something, say something. Yeah. And well, yeah. Okay. So then at one in the morning on August 17th, Hannah showed up at the neighbor's house frantically asking for protection. And she was missing her two front teeth. Remember Hannah, a couple of years ago, Hannah was 14 years old. So now she's older. She's missing her two front teeth. So it's not like she just lost her teeth. No. She told the neighbors that she had jumped from a two-story window and ran over, and she was asking the neighbors to hide her. She told them, and I quote, don't make me go back. They're racist, and they abuse us. It does not surprise me. Not long after, Jen showed up and took Hannah home. The next morning, the entire family showed up at the neighbor's house. Now, I do know the neighbor's names. I did not put them in my story. Yeah. And they've come forward. They're, oh, they're out articles. There. I'm just choosing to not. Yeah, I get it. They've had enough going on with this. <laughs> they lived through this trauma. I'm, I'm choosing to not. Right. That's my choice. So the entire morning, the, it, 
The next morning, the entire family showed up in the neighbor's house and Jen told them the kids were drug babies and they act out sometimes. She even upped the ante this time, because this is the hill she's going to die on, and said that Hannah's birth mother was bipolar and that her front teeth were knocked out when she accidentally fell. Yeah, from the second story window, she's trying to escape from a house who's abusing her. Yeah, that that's probably true. Mm-hmm. That part's probably true. Probably. You can just imagine what happened after she took Hannah back home. It was the, mm-hmm. don't you fucking dead. That whole thing, everyone's locked up in their rooms. Mm-hmm. Guess what's happening now, guys? We're all going to go over tomorrow morning and y'all are going to fucking toe the line. Mm-hmm. That's the conversation I can imagine happening. Like, we're going to smooth this over somehow. So the neighbor asked Hannah, asked to talk to Hannah alone, and Jen told her, and I quote, we do everything as a family. <sighs> of course you do, because if you separate them, they can go rogue. Mm-hmm. Hannah then gave them a handwritten note apologizing for her behavior and saying that she was lying for attention. Now, I do not believe Hannah wrote that note. No. Or even if she did, it was under duress. Yes. The neighbor found the whole thing sus, as anybody would, and reported the family to the authorities. And I love this neighbor. But guess what? There was no follow-up. Yeah, and then that I don't love. I don't either. This whole thing with CPS needs a fucking... Because what's happening is actually people who don't need to be separated from their families are. And Correct. the other is not happening. Correct. <laughs> it's like, guys, what, we need to better check some balances here. Correct. That 15-year-old girl that got left behind at the therapist's office should probably be thinking her lucky stars. Oh, she's like, thank God. Yeah. So a couple of months later, in March 2018, Devante approached the male neighbor while he was working on his truck out front. And Devante nervously asked for something to eat, but asked him not to tell his parents. The neighbor, of course, gave Devante food. Who who wouldn't at this point? Yeah, you're like, Like, of course I could. um, Yes. And this happened several more times. And then Devante gave the the neighbor a wish list of food and asked the neighbor to leave the items in a box by the fence where Jen and Sarah wouldn't notice. This would happen several more times before the neighbor again would contact CPS on March 23rd, 2018. A CPS worker showed up at the Hart home. No one answered the door, so the worker just left their cart. I mean, of course nobody answered the fucking door. Yeah, why would they? I mean... That's admitting fault. Exactly right. The next day, the neighbors noticed the family's GMC Yukon was gone, and Sarah had texted her co-workers at 3 a.m. calling in sick to work. It is assumed that the family was fleeing so the authorities wouldn't uncover the abuse and neglect the kids were facing, just like, they le- just like when they left Minnesota and Oregon. It seemed they were driving down Highway 1 into California, but there wasn't any social media documenting this family adventure like there was with all the others. March 25th, the family stopped at Safeway in Fort Bragg and Jen bought $20 worth of groceries for eight people. That's like a potato chip each, if that. Like none, no food. Yeah, no. That was for Jen and Sarah. Jen and Sarah ate that $20 worth of food. I I don't, I get, keep going. I just, I can't. Mm. Do you really want me to continue? Because I don't think you do. I I just, as someone who enjoys food, I, I don't know how you can not allow others to eat, if that makes sense. Like it, it physically pains me 
maybe it's also the little bit of Italian in me. I'm like, eat, eat, eat. You know, like I, I don't know how you can. Anyway. So the next day on March 26th, a ger- German tourist stumbled upon a GMC Yukon crashed upside down on the rocks at the bottom of a steep 100-foot cliff along Highway 1 in Mendocino County, 200 miles north of San Francisco. Based on the scene, the Yukon's con- based on the scene and the Yukon's computer and the airbag controllers, Jen was driving and pulled off Highway 1 onto a gravel turnout and stopped the vehicle 70 feet from the cliffs. Jen then, Jen then accelerated the car to around 90 miles per hour and without hitting the brakes, drove the car off the 100-foot cliff onto the rocks below, killing herself and the rest of the family. It's just awful. It's like so senseless. Like none of this had to happen. None of it. Nope. When they repelled down to the wreckage, Jen, Sarah, Marcus, Jeremiah, and Abby were found, but Devonte, Hannah, and Sierra were missing. Yeah. They also found that no one was wearing a seatbelt, and later, after an autopsy, Jen had above the legal limit of alcohol in her system. Sarah and two of the children had Benadryl in their systems that caused drowsiness. Two weeks after the crash, on April 8th, Sierra's body was recovered, and then January 2019, Hannah's remains were identified. But Devante's body has never been recovered, but the authorities believe he also passed away in the crash. I mean, at this point, he would have shown up somewhere. Exactly yeah, right. unfortunately. It is uncertain if Sarah was part of the plan or if Jen acted alone, but that's something we'll never know. Like, why, like why it happened or why this couple would adopt six kids they would abuse, neglect, and then murder. It's beyond the pale, to be honest. And that photo of Devante, when you first see it, you're like, okay, he's crying because, you know, it's a Black Lives Matter protest and he's hugging a white cop. It's like that moment you're thinking. I think he's crying and holding on to the cop because he wants help. He wants help. If you look at it in retrospect, and maybe it is because now we know the story, but if you look at that photo again, there is genuine pain in in his eyes. Like, you can see, like, this shell of a human in there and it's just so horrifying i hate this story but i what when this all happened like i've i read the entire i think it was like new york times or whatever article washington post i can't remember somebody did an entire article like on it and it is i couldn't not understand why the hell this happened like i just want to know why the why why would you do this like it just doesn't make sense to me I think that Jen had an undiagnosed, untreated mental health issue. Yeah. And I think that Sarah could not escape her. Well, no, I think Sarah probably could escape her, but she couldn't leave the children behind and she couldn't escape with the children. And she couldn't, in good conscience, leave the children behind. You don't think she's part of it? Like, I mean, how could you live in a house and not be a part of that in some way? Even if you were being It's like abused. a battered wife. I know. I know. It's like, when do you become, when are you the victim and when are you, you the abuser? There's that fine line of, who are you in this moment if you're being manipulated? I you mean, know what I mean? It's, it's just all bad. It's just all bad. Like, I mean, I think that she bought alcohol and 
the Benadryl mm-hmm. with the $20. I think she drugged as many people as she could with the Benadryl. Yeah. Unknowingly. She probably maybe bought some like Gatorade or something. And said, hey, take these pills. I think it was liquid. I think she put it inside oh, the drinks. Oh, put it in the drinks. Oh, okay. And unknowing, they drank them unknowing mm-hmm. that it was drugged. And they're so freaking thirsty and hungry. They're going to do, they're going to drink whatever. Right. Right. It's just, I remember seeing also, if y'all see it, you'll, if you go out and Google the story, you'll see this, the photos of the house. Immaculate. The house is fucking immaculate. And I'm sorry. What house with seven kids or six kids in it and two adults is going to be fucking immaculate? You either have a nanny and a maid or something's up. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, and then the children's rooms, there's like hardly anything on the walls. There's no like child furniture or anything. It's like stark. I I feel so bad for those last two neighbors because you're right. It's like an older couple who... Really, we're trying to do the right thing. They did multiple times. Yeah. It's just too late, you know? It's, ugh. You know, I think there's a lot of manipulation on Jen's part towards Sarah and abusing the children and saying it was Sarah's fault. Mm -hmm. And I think she couldn't, I think she probably could have gotten, escaped herself but couldn't get the children out with her. Yeah. And and she couldn't leave the children behind, and so she just felt stuck and trapped, and Jen was crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, like... Yeah, I know what you mean. I know you're not, you're not trying to be reductionary with saying, oh, she's crazy. Right. But there was something going on there. Right. And I think, like, that's what happened. Maybe she's, what is it, borderline personality or something like that? Is like where you do all these behaviors that are really like impulsive and mm-hmm. also you are, have a grandiose sense of self and all this kind of stuff. Like you're, and then everybody, it's kind of narcissism as well. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense how she would believe like her children are extensions of herself, even though, no, dude, they're human beings and they're each individuals and they will have a life outside of you eventually, hopefully. But now, unfortunately, that will never be the case. And, and I think ugh. Devante was her favorite because yeah. there was more to, like, the whole Devante thing. Like, There's so much to this story. Speaking of having another podcast just about this, <laughs> you could. It's insanely detailed. Yeah. yeah, like, there there was so much more about, like, me saying Devante was her favorite. There, He really was. I don't think Devante was in the car. I think he was humanely... Murdered separately. Oh, you do. And his body buried somewhere else. And you that's do. why they were never able to find it. Interesting. I never thought about that theory before. I thought maybe he was just flown so far out that they can't find him. Or maybe he got stuck somewhere or animals I took know, him somewhere, you know? I know what they found of Hannah. Mm-hmm. And so I think they would. it would have been the same situation with Devante. Mm. So I think Devante was murdered separately and humanely mm. and buried somewhere. You think maybe in the house or at the house maybe or maybe along the way somewhere? I think like right before she drove off the cliff somewhere in that area. That's just so insane. Like, and I remember when the story came out, people thought it was an accident at first because I mean, yes. who in God's name yes, they would thought- think... Yeah, they thought they accidentally drove off the cliff. Yeah. Off the cliff. But then when they realized there was no skid marks. They were like, wait, what? 
And then they started testing the bodies and then... That's when they started analyzing all the like microchips and everything in the car. And that's when they realized how fast the car was going. Yeah. And things like that. Story just still gets me to this day. It just gets me every time because it's like a snake in the grass. You know, that's the thing is like, there are bad people in every community. You know what I mean? Like they were part of the, the rainbow army that we love. And it's shitty, you know, to like know that about them. You know what I'm saying? Like they used that against their own children and they used race against their own children and they, and people around them. And it's shitty. It's very, it's gross behavior. Well, why? And the second set of siblings, Devante and his two siblings, I'd have to go back in my story and read which ones. Devante, Sierra, and was it Hannah? Or was no, Hannah I, part of the other Hannah group? Hannah's part of the first ones. But it was two girls and Devante, right? I, I can't remember. I'd have to go back and look. But the ones whose mom, they got taken away because their mom was an addict. They had relatives that they were living with. Mm. And the state took them away from the relatives like that. Like at the drop of a hat because the relative they were with allowed them to see their mother, which was against the court order, and did not give any other family members or the family member that had them the chance to regain custody of them. It was like insane. No chance. But they had family that wanted them. Yeah, that 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 makes no sense. Why not give it to the family? Why not keep it within the family, within blood, until you can't do blood anymore and then the foster care system. You know what I'm saying? It it is very sad because their whole situation is sad because they had family who wanted them. Unfortunately, their family member made a poor decision and they immediately just ripped them away and gave them no chance to fight for cust- to regain custody back of them. That's just crazy to me. They immediately ripped them away and gave them away and gave their family no chance of regaining custody of them. Whereas the story could have ended way differently if they had like allowed them to remain with their family. Absolutely. It, it, it just breaks my heart because it's like these six kids don't have, they don't have a future, right? Jen, you want to take yourself out as crappy as that is. You're taking one person out, but you're taking seven people with you, dude. Like why, why, why would you do that? Like, I don't know. It's very, it's very selfish. I mean, it is like, it's like, if, if I'm going down, you're going down with me kind of thing is how I feel about it. And it just, Ugh, makes me so sad that just a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, I don't like like I said, I think she had an undiagnosed Oh yeah. There's something mental going on. health issue that started way back in her Teens. early twenties. Yeah, yeah, is when it started ramping. That's right, because that's when it was her early twenties when she started. Mm-hmm. And this is why we say mental health is really important. Because it is. I mean in, in a lot of times, it's not the person, and let's just say she was diagnosed with bipolar. Let's just say. That's not her fault. She didn't do it to herself. Like, no. it's not like, now, after that, if she got meds and help, she could have lived a regular life like everybody else. It's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's your responsibility to, if you have the mental capability, take care of yourself, Right. Right. So I, I also kind of, this is where I go like, well, why didn't Sarah do 
something, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to victim blame at all. I'm just saying like, at some point she is culpable for not, I don't know. Maybe she did try and we just don't know. Maybe she did try to yeah, get I mean, Jen help. Like, I don't know. We don't know if she tried or not. I mean, at some <sighs> point she could have tried, but maybe she was abused as well. Yeah. Just so in it. Just, you can't see the forest for the trees. You're just like so deep. You know, I mean, and then also she did try to take her to a psychiatrist and she got abused. And then what is she going to do at that point? Yeah. It's just all bad. Oh, Ugh, that story gets me every time. Sorry. No, no, no. I told you it was bad. No, it's a good one though, because it's, it, it just has so much there. There's so many different facets of that story. It, it's insane. You know, really. You I mean, can't write this stuff. <laughs> I feel like maybe we need to check out the people we're giving children to a little bit more before we give children to them. Uh, yeah. Because if it's like, it could be just as wor- as bad or worse than the person you just took them from. Do obviously. a little bit more follow up. Yeah. Just you know, a couple more. Or like when children report abuse and then they get taken out of school, like let's do more research and follow up with that. Yeah. Well, and it's overworked, underpaid, and also too many cases for any one social worker. I know. It's insane. It's... I think maybe we should pay our social workers a little bit more because if you look and see how much they're paid, you could make more at fucking Dairy Queen. Oh, yeah. Which, why wouldn't you? You don't have to worry about any of this. I mean, why would you choose that? Yeah. It's a whole systemic. I'm not going to get on that soapbox. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Tell me something good. Yay. So I'm going to take you down and go put you back up. I'm gonna oh, take I hate it when you do, I hate it when you do that. Huh? I know. But this is, this is someone I feel like we need to talk about because I didn't realize how much this person, the story behind this person, I'm going to put it that way. So today's trophy dad is going to be Tim Miller. Born in 1947, Tim was born in Wellington, Ohio, and reportedly had a bad childhood where his parents abandoned him. It's awful. Not much there about how he made it out to our part of the woods, Texas. But here, he got married, and he and his wife had a son that they unfortunately lost to SIDS, or crib death, when he was very young. They then had another child, this time a girl named Laura, and she was the light of their lives. Laura, however, went missing on September 10th, 1984, when she was 16, in and around League City, Texas, or about, it's about 26 miles southeast of Houston. Gulf, flat, marsh, hot, humid, this is where she went missing. Missing for two years until 1986, they found her remains in what became known as the Texas Killing Fields, around Houston, Galveston, League City, and basically the entire Gulf Coast of Texas is just littered with unsolved crime. There were bodies found there from the early 70s through the early 2000s, and most were young women between the ages of 12 to 25 years old, some of which haven't been identified. Some some have been identified. It's just this entire span of 30 years worth of bodies, mainly young women, dumped all along the coast of Texas. And... I'm sorry. I've lived here my whole life. Have you heard about this? Yes. Okay. Maybe I was just too young and my parents didn't want to say not nothing, but that's fucked up. That's some creepy ass shit, man. Our state is creepy. 
33 bodies were found there, and some believe it was one guy, others believe it's multiple serial killers, and I'm going to say the word working at the same time in the same area, and actually this is not that unlikely. Okay, so during the 70s in California, the Hillside Stranglers, Angelo Buono Jr. and Kenneth Bianchi, or as I like to call them, Kennifer, because they're both bitches, were killing at the same time and place as Edmund Kemper. And let's not forget the Golden State Killer and Richard Ramirez were also killing during the same time period and around the same places. So there were basically four serial killers in California alone working up and down California all throughout the 1970s. I mean, like, this is not uncommon. Yeah, it could have been one guy, it could have been multiple guys. Did they know each other? Did they not? Who the fuck knows? They had meetings at the v, the VFW. I guess. Like they all the serial killers come in and go, hey man, what you working on? Like what the fuck is happening? I, I want to make sure we don't cross over into the same type of people. You got the blondes. You got the brunettes. I mean, and, and I got the redheads. Exactly. And here's the other thing. Like the other thing that's going on is, is what's his face in, in Houston who's killing all those boys. Gosh darn it. I always forget his name. But anyway. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Point is, there's a bunch of fucking shit going on at one time. So yeah, it could have been anybody. But what I find interesting is we know the names of the people in California. Why don't we know the names of the serial killers here in Texas? Who's not doing their job? Everybody's run away. Everybody's run away. And they just decided to roll themselves up on a goddamn carpet and throw their bodies out somewhere. Okay. I'm just saying, we allegedly have some of the best cops, you know, from the the Texas Rangers in the goddamn world, and yet we have 33 people that we have no clue who killed them. Really, guys? Really? I don't know. It irks me a little bit. That's all I'm saying. It's a little... And to this day, there has not been much done to solve these crimes. Also, to the... The other side of things. And let's look at the other side. Old, old evidence. Old crimes. Not much DNA. It's hot. It's humid. There's flies. There's animals. There's bugs. There's, yeah. There's like. Gators. Any number of things around that area. So yeah, there's a lot. There's barely any evidence sometimes for, to connect any of these crimes. And because of where they're dumped, anybody could have. It's all along essentially an interstate. So anybody can dump anything out there. Could have been somebody from a different state. Louisiana. So, exactly. So two, I'm going to say the other side. It's also a lot going against the cops as well to solve these crimes. So I will give them that benefit of the doubt. Are you though? Eh, we'll see. <laughs> so again, there are still missing women and people in and around the state of Texas. And this is where Tim comes back into the story. Tim's marriage dissolved after the death of his daughter. I mean, it's pretty common and it's understandable. It's extremely, it's a horrific event. And you can tell that he really became like kind of a shell of who he once was. Like he wasn't as human as he used to be. You know, he wasn't as open and he really became driven to find out who killed his daughter and through no small feat, found the man most likely to have killed her, Clyde Hedrick. Clyde was an abusive man who sexually abused his stepdaughter and was found guilty of abusing a corpse before trying to hide the body. I of mean, that's Ellen even Beeson. that. Yeah. 
So get this. So Clyde Hedrick. Can we not talk about that? Oh yeah, here we go. And it wasn't like abusive, of course, what you're thinking. Here's what happened. According to him, he and Ellen B. Sin, years before, went to a dance club. They got drunk and then they went out. Hey, you want to get out of here? They did that whole thing. Okay. She's like, hey, let's go skinny dipping. And he's like, cool. She jumps in, hits her head, and he doesn't know what to do with the body. So naturally, what do you do? You dump the body out underneath a dirty old mattress out in the middle of nowhere. And then you just go on about your life. Well, whenever they realized that, that, hello, this guy left with Ellen, everybody identified him. Cops came around. He told them that story. They're like, yep, seems about right to me. That's abuse of a corpse. Then he meets this daughter's mother at a club. Same idea. This time there's a little girl involved. And he does not nice things to her. Yeah, he's a trash human. There's also a lot of other dead women in and around this man's periphery. Again, smoke and fire, right? Like, hmm, interesting. So, unfortunately, Laura Miller's body, though, Tim's daughter, was not able to be linked to Clyde directly. Again, lack of evidence. It's the 80s. DNA wasn't a thing. It just wasn't. And there weren't enough connections. And if you watch the Netflix doc, the Texas Killing Fields, really, really good, you'll see that there are other connections they make, you know, between other people. And, you know, there is this person that they name that was inserted himself into the crime because he's a dumbass and really just wanted to help. <laughs> like, don't do that, guys. Don't do that. Don't try to help. Things might be turned on to you. Like, he basically was like, yeah, you can search my land. I don't care. I'll go out there and help you guys search. Here, I found this here. Here, I found this here. And so the more he did that, the more the cops were like, you seem to know a lot about this whole thing. And then, but the guy was just kind of a dumbass and inserted himself in the crime. It had nothing to do with anything. And it ruined his entire life. Because he was suspect numero uno uno in Laura and other people's deaths because some of the bodies were found on his land. Down in this part of Texas, people own 50, 60 acres worth of land. Hundreds sometimes. And so you don't know what the fuck is going on in the fringes of your goddamn land at all times. I mean, but don't you? No. Not if you own that much land out there. I mean, half of it's like wooded and shit. You're not going to go out to the fringes and be like, I wonder if anybody's doing some nefarious shit out here. You know what I mean? don't you? All the time? (laughs) Naturally. (laughs) So Tim also got off on this other trail with the cops thinking, okay, well, maybe this is the guy. He started harassing the guy. Like, I know what you did kind of thing. He admits like, man, I was singularly focused and I was just trying to find out who the hell killed my daughter and it was pissing me off. I'm like, yeah, it's understandable. But eventually he came back to Clyde and realized, you know what? This guy, though, he's still number one. So then the parents of these other dead women started to come up in the news and Tim, you know, watching the news. And he was like, man, I'm not the only one. There's a lot of people out here hurting. There's a lot of people with missing kids, daughters, families, whatever. And he wanted to help. He wanted to do something with this energy. So in 2000, he started a small business to help these families find their children, or at least have peace knowing where they were. And part of this was due at the time to inaction from the police. And in fact, the police told these families of these women that were missing in the killing fields not to talk to each other. Don't talk to each other about this, which is literally the opposite 
of what you should be doing. In fact, I would think cops would encourage each other to talk to each other because then they might realize some correlations and be able to go, hey, actually, that guy was at my daughter's dance or hey, that guy actually did talk to this other person who knew my daughter. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. To help the cops understand and maybe even help them make connection and find the fucking guy. But at the time, that was their go-to. And the whole runaway thing, you know, like... They probably just ran away with their boyfriend. If they were last seen at a dance club with a boyfriend, maybe they're just shacked up there for the next couple of fucking years until you find the remains. Yeah. But again, in the cop's defense, like I said, humid, isolated, bugs, animals. Perfect place to dump a body. Exactly. It's always the gators. Exactly. So Tim in 2000 started this small business and named it Texas EquiSearch Mounted Search and Recovery Team, and it's a nonprofit. Now this mainly goes by Texas EquiSearch, and since they started, they have grown and established themselves as one of the best in the nation, even one of the world's best, in helping to find missing people. They have conducted over 1,800 searches in 42 U.S. states and 11 countries. They found 240 bodies and, more importantly, 400 missing people alive. So... This whole thing was all due to Tim wanting to find answers about his daughter. They have helped on high-profile cases like Natalie Holloway, Vanessa Guillen, the military woman that went missing in Mm -hmm. Fort Hood, that we all now know what happened there, and Kaylee Anthony. Tim is now in his mid-70s and goes with his team on almost every search. In 2021, he was hospitalized due to a heart issue, and he said, as much as I wanted to keep it private, I think when it came out... And all the support and everything gave me kind of the shot in the arm I need to fight on this one. I need to fight a bit harder because I'm not done. And two weeks later, he was out doing searches again. Of course he was. Because that's Tim. (laughs) If you see this documentary, you'll see he is a driven human being. This man, get out of his way. That's all I'm going to say. Get the fuck out of this man's way. Move, bitch. Get out of the way. way. Exactly. (laughs) He will bulldoze your fucking ass if he like to get what he needs to get done. So, I think there's a serial killer in Austin. Oh, we're going to go into that. Why do you think that? All the people that go missing on Rainy Street and they find them in Lady Bird Lake. Wait, what? There's like a pattern? Yes. And the cops just say they're falling in the water because they're drunk. Because that's where they find them is in the water. Well, yeah. And of course you're getting fucked up on Rainy Street because that's what you go do. You go drink. Uh huh, and there's no lights or halo cameras in that portion of Rainy Street, oh, and so they're saying that's why they're falling in the water. It's the perfect crime, and really, you don't need to do anything but push someone in. If you're drunk enough, I mean, you goodbye. You know what I mean? I think that they're being taken uh-huh. and being disposed of there. But if, did they, do they notice anything wrong with their bodies? Like, I don't think that they're. Or maybe they're not doing that, just going like, oh, they just fell in and it's an mm-hmm, accident. Why mm-hmm. would you do an autopsy mm-hmm. on something like that? Yeah, and I think a lot of them are gay men. <gasps> it's possible. It's a vulnerable community, so it makes a lot of sense. So it could be a hate crime, too. I mean, you've heard about us in the news, guys. I'm sorry. That's not who we are. Unfortunately, it's our fucking politicians, but wow. You might be onto something there. Interesting. Hmm. So in 2014, someone in law enforcement must have thought what Tim said and others said about Clyde must have been true 
because they exhumed Ellen Beeson's body, the one that he left under the mattress, you know, by accidentally, oopsie-daisies, she fell in and hit her head, whatever. And they found out that after they exhumed her and did an autopsy, she actually died to a blow to the back of her head. I think everyone deserves an autopsy when they die. I agree. Fuck this shit. I don't care how expensive it is or whatever. Do it. Let's just do it. When I die, I want someone to do an autopsy. Yeah? I'm sure you can write that in your in your will, right? Is that how they, how would you do that? I, I don't know. Right? So, he pled not guilty and was convicted of involuntary manslaughter. <sighs> Sentenced to 20 years in 2014. Clyde is currently living in transitional housing as of October 2021. It's not disclosed where. Not disclosed, like all that kind of stuff. He's got a very distinct face. So if y'all want to Google his face, just to make sure, you'll know. He ain't got no teeth. So it's all mush down here. He is rotting from the inside out like the trash human that he is. Then in 2022, Tim Miller won a default judgment against Clyde in a wrongful death lawsuit for his daughter and received $24 million. in damages. I mean, he's never going to see that money. Oh, probably not. But it's, it's the fucking... Tim said that, quote, he filed the wrongful death suit to let Clyde Hedrick know that, Clyde, I'm still here. I am still here, and I'm not going to quit until the day I die. And I'm like, hell yeah, dude. He's like, fuck you. This is more of like a check in the fuck you department for me. Yeah. (laughs) And Tim will keep working to find missing people until he can't anymore. And he said, quote, we don't know what life deals us at times. After Laura's disappearance and body was found, I thought that was the end of the world for me. But, you know, it started a new world. And I think maybe he found his calling. Because Texas Equisearches, very well known. And Mm -hmm. anytime they roll up, you know, I'm like, oh, shit's about to get real. Yeah, but they didn't find. They didn't find a lot of. Those people. Yeah. And it's, it's not a hundred percent either, but the fact is here's another way for us to search. You know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't hurt in other words. And the 400 people they found missing, those are 400 people and families. They would have never reconnected. Right. And unfortunately the 240 bodies, same thing, but still, at least, you know, right. It's the unknown. It's, that's more, it's upsetting, you know, no, it is sad that the origins, but it became this thing of. Now I can help people with this. And I think it's interesting. I didn't know it was a nonprofit, actually. So that was really, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so it's I all didn't volunteer. Realize that either. Yeah. And all they do it on horses, which oh, I just love horses. They're just amazing. <laughs> what? It's cool. It's like, you know, bring it at old school. Let's bring back horses. It's the original electric vehicle. <laughs> Well, thank y'all so much for listening to us. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday.